Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Is there a minimum amount for investing? It depends on the platform. You can start as low as 20 bucks a month. Do you recommend? If, again, you have high anxiety with the idea of investing, I would not recommend that you throw in $1,000 and see what happens, right? <laughs> like, let's start slow. I'd rather you do it versus not doing it at all. So mm. true. Right? And I think people think that there's such a high barrier to entry. If I had to invest any $10,000, that's absolutely not true. Mm-hmm. Have you ever wondered what life will be like after you turn 30? Or perhaps you're already there and wondering what things you want to achieve in this new decade. Hi, I'm June. And I'm Daph. Welcome to List Me Tender, a podcast where we delve into an array of different things we're supposed to have ticked off as 30-something millennials. I'm going to kick us off right away with the blur because we do have a very, very exciting and informative guest coming up. But first, the blurb. At 30, things in your life start to change dramatically, especially when looking back at your college years. As such, it means there is a different mindset when starting to invest your money. Daph, who do we have on for this very important topic? Money, money, money. I am very, very excited to invite Parween onto this episode. And I was actually introduced to Parween by a good friend, um, Zaf. So Zaf, if you're listening to this, shout out to you. Thank you for connecting us. And I will hand it over to Parween to introduce herself. Welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. I'm so excited uh, to be here. Uh, I'm Parween. I'm a millennial money coach of South Asian descent. I am a trauma of money facilitator, which we can kind of dive into in a little bit. And I work with, you know, millennial women from immigrant upbringings um, in terms of helping them really build wealth and spend with intention. So my money story really started when I was 16 years old, when we almost lost my childhood home. And at that time, being the eldest daughter in an immigrant household, right? I was responsible for translating what the banks were saying to my parents, right? Wow. And so that moment when the mortgage advisor said, oh, they don't have enough, as in they don't have enough money, that really influenced my relationship with money because in that moment, it was dawned on me that without money, it meant you had a lot of power, control, and safety. Mm-hmm. And so I vowed to myself to never put myself in the same position. 10 years later, at the age of 26, I built a $100,000 net. And again, I'm just on a mission to help other women of color from similar upbringings do the same. Incredible. 26. What were we doing at 26? (laughs) Not building 100k (laughs) network. Buying fast fashion and eating takeout. (laughs) That's amazing. And do you think that's what motivated you to to just take charge of money? Absolutely. 100%. Because I think that was my reflection on it, Mm. right? That, oh, this thing, money leads to again this idea of control having influence having that safety if i didn't have that i don't have any of those things and those things are important to me that kickstarted my awareness around money but also kind of led to i would say a little bit of unhealthy relationship with money at first right the headline 100k by 26 oh sounds super sexy like you went the other way Mm -hmm. yeah exactly where you know i had extreme anxiety parting with my money Mm. I, i couldn't 
buy myself a coffee without feeling guilty, you know? And so, yes, my bank account might have been growing at the time, but I wasn't happy. That was like a lesson there is what's the point of having all this money if I can't even enjoy it? The reference to this trauma of money that you Mm. mentioned earlier as well. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us a bit about that because that is such an interesting kind of statement. Like I've never heard of it before and would love to deep dive a bit more about this whole Mm. idea behind this trauma of money. Yeah, for sure. But also, why haven't we heard about it before? Because I feel like it's like (laughs) all immigrant families experience it to some extent. Absolutely. So the Trauma Money Program is put forth by one of my mentors in the space, Chantel Chapman and Hiroko here based in Vancouver. So this is not my idea. It's something that they put together and I was able to be a part of and become certified in. And the reason, again, that I was drawn to it was because, look, we all know the financial advice that we're supposed to be doing pay off debt, think about future you and invest, etc. But why do so many of us struggle to implement that advice? There's a gap there and that gap is around psychology, right? So I really want to understand on a deeper level people's decision making and behaviors and that influence around money so that I can help them further. It's not just about giving you a budget. That, that comes after. It's really about diving into that first. It, it really does help with my clients in terms of seeing that behavioral change, which I think is so important. Right. So it's not necessarily even about like the numbers. Mm -hmm. What is your behavioral and emotional relationship with money? And like, Mm -hmm. where does that come from? And how do you like unravel that almost? That's exactly it. And it's like, you know, why do we overspend? You know, why do we hoard our money? What are these feelings, right? Where are they coming from? What lessons about money have you been sort of been exposed to growing up? And Mm -hmm. how's that influencing you today? I think this might be a good one to stop on because growing up as like, in an Asian family, our parents has done an excellent job in terms of like teaching us how to save money. You know, mm, like yep. save money, you should never have credit card debt, you should pay off mm. your debt every month. And I feel really strong in that basic foundations. Yep. But then when it comes to investing or spending i'm always so out of my debt Mm -hmm. i'm scared i'm scared to Mm. move all i want to do is like hoard my money and i feel like that is definitely growing up in this asian household of just hold on to your money keep Mm -hmm. your money you know yeah yeah everything in cash (laughs) cash is king yeah yeah absolutely when we're talking about financial literacy this is what's missing the the cultural narratives that we all grow up with it's not easy for children of the say from asian background immigrant upbringing to be like yeah i'm gonna go invest in the stock market yeah time and time again i just see there's so much fear around that right oh my parents told me not to do those things right oh it's gambling Gambling your money yep exactly it's not it's not a sure thing Mm -hmm. and i think it's really important to acknowledge that right that's we're comfortable with having our money in a savings account and so to venture on this journey of investing or doing more with it when we don't a have the information right but b also feel really uncomfortable doing so yeah something something that's important to acknowledge totally I love the concept of like money being power and influence that you mentioned, but then pairing Mm. that with your focus with women of color, which often power and influence don't really go, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. directly with that group. So could you talk to us a bit about like why this is important? For one, in terms of why I do what I do and serve the audience that I do, I grew up in an environment where I didn't have money mentors or people who looked like me. Yeah. That who I felt comfortable going to and asking for this advice. And the second thing is this idea of your money, your choice. The reason why I want to empower women specifically with money is because I don't want 
than to be stuck in situations that they're unable to leave because they're financially dependent on someone else. And I think the third thing is when we talk about this concept of investing, the reason why it's so important, it's a couple things. But one, women live longer than men. So we need more savings. And two, when women do invest, it, studies show that we actually outperform men in the stock market. Mm. And the reason for that is because women have more patience. They're more level-headed. They're not quick to make irrational decisions, sell, buy, any of these things. And so we actually perform better. So we talked a little bit about like the anxiety of investing. Yeah. Do you have any like tips for people that are at that stage that are just like having heart palpitations, worrying about not yeah. doing this well? And, and what advice would you give them? Yeah. One, let's acknowledge sort of what's coming up for them. I really recommend sort of journaling, either a painful or confusing money memory oh, or one so that's specific around investing. What are you telling yourself about investing? What could potentially be false beliefs that you're telling yourself? Mm. Just kind of logically map that out for yourself. Kind of see where, where that leads you. Just setting yourself up emotionally for mm. starting this journey. And how long do you recommend someone go like do this journaling process for? Totally depends, right? Like mm -hmm, it, could, right. it could be a one-off just to kind of get them started, but it could be a continuous thing. Because the second thing is when you do start investing, emotions may come up for you again. You might mm. be telling yourself certain things. It'll be really interesting to track that information in terms of what's coming up for you. Right. Mm -hmm. So like developing that muscle of self-awareness. Yeah. Also, I like your term, the false belief narrative. Yeah. And I feel like that is a very strong thing where you tell yourself, I don't know enough, so I am not equipped to make the right decisions. Mm -hmm. But, you know, is that something that is true? Or is that something that's just in your head? And yeah. I think another thing on top of that is, again, coming back to what our parents have taught us, just having a little bit of reflection on that, right? Again, immigrant mm -hmm. parents tell us, keep your money in a savings account, keep it safe, keep mm -hmm. it in a non-risk thing. So it's really excessive risk aversion is what yeah. we're being taught. Or to invest in property because that's the only other thing that they <laughs> really believe in. That's parental approved. <laughs> and so again, just kind of being aware that things were different for their generation and things are different for ours, right? What might have worked for them may not work for us. Yeah, so that's like the sort of emotional piece. But we want to, again, start giving you evidence and confidence that investing is the right thing to do so i would recommend just pulling up an online calculator of like investing and you know kind of compare like if you were to make just 0.5 percent interest after how many years how much money you would have do that and then do a, a similar calculation but this time up that percentage to you know five to six percent which is generally the average return mm -hmm. of the stock market and see the difference try to give that evidence to yourself where you feel that confidence to be like okay this is i should be doing this so do you think that emotional peace has to come first it can go hand in hand right for sure because i think as you begin the practical things will pop up for you Yes. emotionally there's no right or wrong right there's no right or wrong to do this right you speaking about this is bringing up my memories of first investing and i'm, I'm a pretty new investor mm -hmm. but for a whole year i put it off i really felt like i needed to know this space in and out read like yep. five different finance books understand exactly what i was doing before i could move forward and i think a lot of that was just coming out of like fear and anxiety mm. about taking the wrong step when in reality the amount that I was investing was not a huge amount so I could have just had a go and learnt it that way but instead I went this like really roundabout route I should have or I could have benefited processing like the emotional side of that first before like trying to just mm. move ahead with the investing but hey you did it right eventually like, yeah I mean you did it <laughs> after a right? lot of anxiety <laughs> and grief <laughs> and reading <laughs> 
compared to like maybe 10, 20 years ago, starting with investing is so much easier now. Can I ask you, what do you mean by investing? Because I think you can, yeah, yeah you can invest in anything from like penny stocks to like Dogecoin. Yeah, essentially, it just means, you know, investing within the stock market. Proper long term investing isn't exciting. It's honestly really boring. What you want to look for is just low cost and diversified investments. Mm-hmm. I guess actually we'll, we'll backtrack a little bit. What I mean by diversification. We all know Apple, Netflix, Starbucks. These are all companies as in you can buy a piece of ownership in Netflix yes. and Apple and all those things. However, if all you do is put all of your money into Netflix and something ha- were to happen to Netflix, the risk associated is really high. You could mm-hmm. lose everything. So we don't want to just put our money into one into one company. We mm-hmm. want to diversify that uh, against you know multiple companies, countries, sectors, all that. And the way that we can do that is twofold. One is by mutual funds, specifically offered by banks. Similar thing offers diversification and invest your money in a multiple pool of stocks and companies. But the fees to do so are really high. The term you want to look for is the management expense ratio. And anything above, I, th- I would say 1%. And with mutual funds, it's usually 23 or 2 point something wow. percent. Is yeah. really, it's really high. And that's money that you could have kept for yourself over time. Right. And the second option is investing in what's called index funds or mm-hmm. ETFs, which are exchange-traded funds. These, again, are a collection of stocks and what is also called bonds. And there's different risk tolerances with it. But what's different is they're way, way cheaper than, say, investing with a mutual fund. And why is that? That's because they're not um, actively managed. Right. And so with a mutual fund, there's there's a dude managing <laughs> the fund, shifting money, selling stuff actively because they're trying to beat the stock market. Mm. And historically, studies have shown that trying to actually beat the stock market doesn't Never work because we can't predict what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so with with the ETFs, those are actually really easy for now now for us to sort of invest in mm-hmm. because within Canada specifically, there's something called a robo advisor. But a robo advisor is passively managed. No mm-hmm. one's going to try to like you know shift them around or try to beat the market or any of those things. It just does what the stock market does. Mm-hmm. It's mimicking that. That is what I would recommend as sort of like a first time uh, how to kind of get your feet wet into this whole realm because they'll do everything for you. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. a no-brainer option. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. What would you recommend people do before they start investing? We first need to evaluate your sort of foundational situation. So the checklist that I recommend is, one, have at least, at least three months worth of cash savings sitting in a high interest savings account. This is for emergencies. This is for, you know, repairs or anything that might come up. We want that cash to be accessible outside of the stock market. For a bare necessities emergency fund, it's four categories, like housing, rent, utilities, uh, food, transportation. Yeah, and then the utilities is the fourth one. Out of those four, having that set aside. Mm -hmm. So take what that would be for the month, multiply that by three. And the second thing is to pay off any high interest debt. Specifically, this is more so credit card debt. And the reason for that is because the money that you're going to make in the stock market will not be more than 
what you're going to pay in interest on your debt. However, if you have a low interest debt, and by low interest, it's usually anywhere 7% or lower. So like a student loan, a mortgage, you can do both. You can invest and pay off the debt at the same time. It's a little bit more mathematically sound to do that. Mm-hmm. So I'm diligent. I've paid off my high interest credit card debt. I've got three months worth of savings. So even if I lose my job, I'll stay afloat for three months, hopefully find a job by that point. Then uh, the third thing would be to understand when you need the funds by. Say you're saving up for a down payment or a wedding. What's important is that we don't want to risk having that money sitting in the stock market when it could kind of go be going up and down. So when we need to go access it, maybe not all of it is there. So typically anything that you need in less than three years time, keep that parked in a high interest savings account outside of the stock market. Anything that's three years and more long term, so like stuff like in retirement or just whatever, whatever else, then that's something that you want to put within the stock market. Mm. Say you've got your eye on a house and you want to buy it within the year. Yeah. That's probably not a good idea to start investing that money in the stock market. Yeah. I feel like the emergency buffer is something that I just wish I knew, Mm. I don't know, younger in life. You know when you have those just money anxiety moments and they didn't need to be that way if you had just a safety buffer for yourself? It's intuitive, but like not something that everyone does or knows. I mean, it's like the least exciting thing to do. But if you think about it, though, like having a solid emergency fund gives you the freedom and opportunity to take risk. Like, I really hate this job. You know, it's paying Mm -hmm. the bills, but it's sucking my soul. You like knowing you have that will help you take the step to try something new or do something different. And I know like a lot of Canada and Australia don't do it because I think I read the stat was everyone in uh, most people in Canada are like three paychecks away from being homeless. So if you think about that, that is in the space of six weeks, most people Mm -hmm. will be homeless. Wow. Yeah. Something you touched on was risk tolerance, and I'd love to, you Mm. alluded to like bonds and stocks. Could you just demystify that a little bit? Like, what do you mean? What's the difference? Yeah. So there are different risk tolerances. Uh, The lowest is sort of conservative, minimal risk, but also means minimal return. But again, Mm. if you're just getting starting into this world, that might be a good place to start. Next one, sort of like a medium or a balanced tolerance not super excessively high risky but you'll still get good returns out of out of this bucket and the third one is the high growth higher risk higher risk yeah yeah the higher risk but higher return option and the way that kind of breaks down is that difference between a stock and a bond so again stock is the idea of buying a piece of ownership a bond is actually a loan that you give to a company instead so they're actually borrowing right. money from you that is a bond mm. and those are those are lot safer, quote unquote, less right. risk averse, all those things. So having, again, like that bucket of, of an ETF or it might be that has a balance between stocks and bonds, the bonds buffer out the risk a little bit, right? And depending on the percentage, that becomes less and less. So conservative is typically, you know, 80% uh, bonds, 20% stocks. Balanced, you're looking at 60-40. With a, you know, high growth, more excessive, it's usually 80% stocks and 20% bonds. And if you were to, again, open up, you know, an account with like a robo-advisor within Canada, this is the first thing that they ask you is, what would you define as your risk tolerance? Right. And you select one of the three, and they'll put you into that portfolio, invest things uh, according to that. Right. Is there a minimum amount for investing? It depends on what platform. 
you can start as low as 20 bucks a month. Do you recommend? If, again, you have high anxiety with the idea of investing, I would not recommend that you throw in $1,000 and see what happens, right? <laughs> like, let's start slow. I'd rather you do it versus not doing it at all. So true. Right? And I think people think that there's such a high barrier to entry. If I invest any $10,000, that's absolutely not true. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about where to put these investments. Not so much in terms of the type of company that you choose yeah. to go through, but like what are yeah. wise ways to invest that are beneficial? Yeah, for sure. So I think um, the purpose of like picking these accounts that you're kind of referring to, which within Canada would be an RRSP, mm -hmm. which is a registered retirement savings account, or a TFSA, which is a tax-free savings account. Mm. The purpose of these accounts is because Look, we're all going to pay taxes to the government with our incomes and all that, but we don't have to pay them everything around that. We want to protect our, I guess, protect our income um, as much as that we can. And so these provide sort of the opportunities to do so. That's why it's recommended that you put your investments within these accounts, one or the other. Now, the difference between them, which is probably your follow-up question, so tricky, is yeah. <laughs> a tax-free savings account the name doesn't really work for it. People think, oh, savings, I can I can treat it like a, like a regular savings account, put money and take it out. That is not fully leveraging the benefit of a TFSA. We want to leverage that for investing because anything that you put in there and it grows over time, it's going to be tax-free. The government's not going to come after that $1,000, $5,000 that you made off of your investments. So by the time you're ready to take it out, you wouldn't pay additional tax on it, you're saying? No, no. So do, are you saying that people should put money in but not take money out of it? Uh, yeah, I think that's where the, the savings gives that gets yeah. a little confusing. Um, a TFSA is a lot more flexible. You can absolutely go in and take it out without facing penalties and stuff like that. But we want to, again, try to leave it for a medium to long term. Yes. Um, so it can grow. Investing. Yeah. yeah. So newsflash, you can use the TFSA for investing. Not just yes. a savings account. <laughs> exactly. <It's important. laughs> 100%. Um, and for millennials, a TFSA is uh, something that I would recommend probably before an RSP because, again, it provides that flexibility. Because right. if we think about it in the 2030s, whatever it might be, a lot of life events could happen for us, right? We're not, mm -hmm. it's not really steady. So that provides flexibility. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. An RSP is still a great tool. It is. It just provides less flexibility. The reason why is once you contribute your money into an RSP, that reduces your current um, taxable income. So say you make $100,000 a year and you contribute $10,000 to your RSP. Now the government's only going to tax you as if you made $90,000 that year. Right. So it's really a tool to help you sort of reduce your tax uh, taxable income. The catch is any money that you put towards that and if you try to withdraw it early before retirement – you're uh, penalized um, about yeah. anywhere between 10 to I think 20%. And I believe there's very similar tools like throughout the US and Australia also has this magical yeah. thing called superannuation, which you can make voluntary contributions to. What are some things or ways that people can like get in touch with you or connect with you? And, yeah. and what would you like typically take them through? For sure. So with my clients, I typically offer a, a full three-month coaching program with myself. Wow. So they'll have access to video training modules, anything from sort of learning how to budget to how to invest mm -hmm. and like everything in between, money narratives, trauma, emotional spending. Uh, there's a whole breakdown on my website 
Um, website is www.thewealthywolf with an e dot ca. Yeah. There's also a free resource on my website in terms of helping you figure out just where the hell your money went, which is a question that I get <laughs> often time. from people is like they get to the end of the month, they don't know where the money went. Yes. So I have a free template to so uh, walk you through that. Um, so useful. But yeah, you can find me on Instagram as well. I'm sure everything will be linked in yeah, the show notes. Yeah, we'll link everything in the show notes so you can reach out to Parwin if you have any desires to go through this money boot camp or like therapy boot yeah. camp. It's like a mix of emotions and practicalities. So exactly. it's like life coaching, but with like money. Yes. <laughs> actually, yeah. I actually have a question, Parwin. What has been like, the most interesting money story that you've come across? Uh, one of my clients that I've worked with, um, she actually immigrated to Canada from India. Her money traumas were really around witnessing her parents, her family that came from wealth, lose that wealth and been stuck in a situation where now they're kind of struggling. And she had extreme anxiety mm. with investing, with, you know, letting her money go. Basically, what she was doing is what I would call a more reactive approach to her finances, which a lot of people do. They will won't really budget, but they'll just at the end of the month see where their money went. Mm. and kind of categorize it and then just get upset about where the money went. Mm. I taught her a proactive approach, which is so that we allocated where her money went so that she doesn't have to have that mental capacity and energy spent, you know, constantly checking her bank statement because that wasn't serving her. It doesn't serve anyone. Seeing her shift from that uptight anxiety to now being at ease, to now being confident, to be able to make decisions and just feeling really, really enjoying the process. This was really, really cool to see again that that shift in behavior it's like knowledge is power yeah. like you know that you're okay spending this money so you don't have to feel weird or guilty about it yeah and also she's a, she was able to again understand where her emotions might be coming from what mm-hmm. might be triggering to her because we did all that work together so again self-sufficient right that that's what i teach my clients um so they can kind of get through anything after we start working together i i really like how um your focus is that early homework of emotional and value, that values piece. Not just thinking about what you want, but yeah. you take this view of yeah. let's actually take a step back and actually look backwards before yeah. we move forward. Mm. You know, Absolutely. And I, that's like really um, a really good take. Ah, so interesting. Okay, my final question actually, which I have been burning to ask is... Can you invest without buying property? Like, is it okay if theoretically someone rents the whole rest of their life? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Because I I still feel like there's always like the thought in the back of my mind of like, you have to own your house, you know? Yeah. (laughs) A little bit. And I like there are certain errors out there, right? That we should own our house, right? We should be doing XYZ accomplishment with our money, etc. And so these are all money goals that we think that we need to accomplish and abide by. But for a lot of us, stuff, something like homeownership just may not make sense financially, especially when it comes to like your lifestyle, mm-hmm. really understanding your lifestyle, but also what works for you. And in many cases, renting is actually more fiscally, quote unquote, responsible for a lot mm-hmm. of people when it comes to their situation than it would be to, you know, mm-hmm. put into like a mortgage and all that. It totally depends. And so yeah. I think that narrative of like, oh, homeownership, you need to buy your house and invest in real estate. That's a, a little bit of an old traditional view. And I don't think it really encompasses the struggles yeah. of rising home, home costs, rising just daily living expenses, wages stagnating where they are. Mm-hmm. We live in a different era. So I don't really? think it's fair to assume that 
millennials can't buy houses because of their addiction to coffee or anything stupid like avocado. that. I hate avocado toast. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the avocado toast. Yeah. I really love that because, yeah, it's like you define what lifestyle you want and then you make your mm-hmm. money work for you to have that lifestyle, whether that it involves yeah. ownership or not. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. We learned so much. Um, I feel oh, like I'm I so need glad. to re-listen to this episode like three different times <laughs> and have a money journal. Yeah. How are you feeling, Duff? I really enjoyed the first part of our conversation talking about the background, where you're coming. I feel like that's just something no one even thinks about. We just think yeah. like we, this is our idea of money and that's it. But we never yeah. actually stop to think about why we have these narratives that we do. Yeah. So it's good Absolutely. to question those narratives. And... I also think like it's very rare for even in friendship groups to have these kinds of conversations. It's like mm. very tra- tangible conversations about money. So mm-hmm. start those conversations mm-hmm. with your friends, especially mm-hmm. your um, women of color friends. Just women Absolutely. in general. Yeah, women in general. Cool. Sure. Thank you so much, Harleen, for yeah, so being much on this dropped. episode. I feel like this was yeah. like a very good learning episode. <laughs> thank you so much you guys i appreciate you being uh, allowing me to come on (laughs) yeah we loved every single second so find palween at the wealthy wolf we'll be linking the instagram and her website in the show notes uh please do check her out she's got a lot of wisdom to share as you have just (laughs) seen and experienced (laughs) thank you so much again palween awesome what are we talking about next episode daf Next episode, we're going to talk about personality tests. Get to know yourself better. I love doing personality tests. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's like our favorite thing to do. Thank you so much. Share this with your friends. Send it to a woman of color or a woman in your life. Start conversations about investing and reach out to Pauline if you have questions. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. And bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.